To those of you listening to us on the internet, to the men and women in our armed forces, wherever you may be, to our members and guests here at beautiful Savior Lutheran in Milwaukee, grace be to you and peace from God our Father, from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. The word of God upon which we base our message this morning on this ninth Sunday after Pentecost are all three readings like to work through them, uh, sort of like a little Bible study this morning, so we get some snippets from each lesson. And we're going to consider this morning Jesus, who is our compassionate King Shepherd. As helpless sheep, he uh, gathers his flock, he feeds his flock, and he unites his flock. You ever think about it, how God created us as five-dimensional creatures? He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Love God emotionally, spiritually, physically, mentally, and relationally. In other words, love your Lord God with all of your being. kind of amazing to me how God gave to us all of his characteristics. Spiritual, emotional, physical, mental, relational. He created us just like himself. This morning I want to talk about our shepherd king and his emotions and how he showed compassion to his sheep way back when and to his sheep today, you and me. Now, God is an emotional person. Sometimes we think, uh, forget about that. But God, you take a look at Holy Scripture, he showed anger, expressed anger. He expressed joy. He expressed sorrow. He expressed love. But today we want to uh, talk about a little bit about his emotion of compassion. So what is compassion all about? Imagine this scene. A kindergartner, girl or boy, five-year-old, on the playground, being beaten up by an eighth-grade bully. Suppose the kindergartner, the five-year-old, was your child. How would you feel? What would you do? In the gospel for this morning, it says Jesus looked on the people and he felt sorry for them. He had compassion. Actually, what that meant was it was a gut-wrenching experience for him. It was like watching his little child being beaten up and he had to do something about it. The first reading from Jeremiah 23 you turn your attention to page 4, your bulletin, just like to take a look at a couple of verses. First of all, verse 2, where God says, You have scattered my sheep and chased them away. You have not taken care of them, so now I will take care of you by punishing you for the evil you have done. Verse 3, Then I will gather the remaining part of my flock from all the countries where I chase them, 
I will bring them back to their pasture, and they will be fertile and increase in number. I will put shepherds over them. Those shepherds will take care of them. What in the world is being talked about here? God's compassion. Jeremiah was writing these words. Jeremiah was one of God's prophets who predicted things that people did not want to hear, that their city was going to be destroyed, their temple was going to be destroyed, they were going to all be led away into exile. That's what Jeremiah was doing. He was scolding the people for God. He was saying, how horrible it's going to be for you, you shepherds. Who are these shepherds that they're talking about that God's going to punish? Well, it was actually the kings that were ruling God's people. They were the shepherds of the day, and they were forgetting about the people. All they cared about was their own power, their own prestige. All they had a commitment for was uh, getting richer, didn't care about the cause of the, the poor or the needy. They oppressed the innocent. They extorted from their subjects. They actually practiced slavery and forced labor. They allowed their subjects to indulge in, in depraved and debauched practices of the heathen. And by that action on their part, they destroyed the faith of the people, and finally God became so angry that he did scatter the people to different nations. Bad kings, bad shepherds, hurting the helpless flock. They weren't doing the job. So what was going to happen? So what God is saying here in these words is, I'll do the job. They can't do the job. They won't do the job. I'll do the job myself. I'll bring them back. I'll make them increase and be fertile once again. God was coming back and would come back to clean up the mess. And did you ever think about how much more energy it takes to clean up messes than to make them? Every once in a while, my wife and I travel to Minnesota, visit our grandkids, the little ones, you know, they... Uh, they come and mom and dad, they have the house all clean and everything else. And then the kids get out the toys. And before you leave, it looks like a tornado hit, you know, toys all over the place. Did anyone, when you were growing up, try to play that trick on you, 52 pickup? Take the deck of cards, you know, squeeze it. And then the cards are all over the place. They said, now you pick it up. You say, I don't want to play that game, it's a mess. Or what would you think about, uh, you're walking uh, through the kitchen, and you trip or whatever, and um, a big pot of grease falls out of your hand. And it's an addition, it breaks all over the floor. And now you've got to clean up that mess. It takes a whole lot more time and effort to clean it up than to make it. Jeremiah tells us who was going to clean up the mess that those wretched kings had made. He says, the righteous branch from David... He will be king. He will be called Lord, our righteousness. How did that person, the Lord, our righteousness, begin the, the cleanup project? By poverty in Bethlehem. By coming to cleanse the temple to clean up the mess. He cleaned up the mess all by himself. 
as he was bloodied and beaten and crucified for you and me as punishment for our disobediences. And by the way, you know, we are, I suppose you could say we are shepherds in our own way, huh? We have mother shepherds and father shepherds and neighbor shepherds and uh, congregational member shepherds. And we don't always do our shepherding so very perfect. So many times we can count our imperfections. That's why we need a perfect shepherd, Jesus, to take away all of our sins. They said that this righteous branch from Jesse was going to come and gather the people from all the nations. Well, you know, short term, that did happen. God gathered his people out of captivity in Babylon, brought them back to uh, the land of Israel so that Jesus could be born. Then on Pentecost, do you remember Pentecost? The people listened to the message, and after Pentecost, they all scattered back to various parts of the earth, taking the message of Jesus Christ. Christians today are even scattered in various different denominations and religions, some more truth, some the less. God says, I'm going to bring them all back into one flock one day. And it's always going to be through the message of truth, Jesus Christ crucified. And so the Holy Spirit helps us every day. He calls, gathers, enlightens his holy Christian church on earth and keeps it in Jesus Christ in the one true faith so that you remain members of his flock on the way to eternal life in heaven one day. That's Jeremiah spiritual compassion. But Jesus, as our shepherd king, doesn't just care for us and help us spiritually, he also helps us physically, and that's certainly borne out by the gospel for today. If you take a look at page 6 in the bulletin, um, in verse 38, Jesus asks them to find out how much food they have, five loaves of bread and two fishes. Then he ordered all of them to sit down in groups on the green grass. They sat down in groups of hundreds and fifties. Uh, Verse 41, he broke the loaves apart and kept giving them to the disciples to give to the people. He also gave pieces of the two fish to everyone. All of them ate as much as they wanted. When they picked up the leftover pieces, they filled 12 baskets with bread and fish. There were 5,000 men who had eaten the bread. There it was, as Jesus was preaching to these people. He said he looked out, and he saw that they looked like sheep without a shepherd. And after the message, well, it was so late, they couldn't get back home. And here they were out in the middle of nowhere. And they were all hungry. And you know the whole story. Jesus looks around. There's five loaves of bread and two fish. And Jesus looks up to heaven, and he prays to his heavenly Father. And then he starts his miracle of multiplication. And I still, it boggles my mind how Jesus did this. Basket full, five loaves of bread. Pick one out, there's still five there. Pick another one out, there's still five there. Well, maybe they got mixed up in the basket. Pick, but then you got two fish. Every time you pick one out, there's still two there. Over and over again, he kept giving the food to the disciples to dispense the people. Kind of, uh, a couple other things that came to my mind. How many people were there and how organized Jesus was? He had them sit down in groups of hundreds and fifties. You know, not all pushing and shoving to come to the head of the line. Nice groups. Wait your turn. And then it says they sat down on the grass. 
Out in the middle of nowhere, Jesus found grass. Sort of reminds me of Psalm 23, where Jesus will lead us to the pastures, good pastures. 5,000 men ate. That doesn't count the the women or the men. So we figured there must have been about at least 15,000 people there. Uh, That would fill up the pretty soon-to-be-defunct Bradley Center. There's 15,000 capacity there. And they ate as much as they wanted. I wonder what it would be like if you went down to Summerfest and you were one of the vendors or maybe State Fair that's coming out up. You were one of the vendors and you put out a sign, free food. You know, those, uh, what are those, onions, some of those, or hot dogs, whatever it is. I wonder what the line would look like. Free food, pushing and shoving. Um, It's kind of interesting how when we give away our free hot dogs, there's not pushing and shoving. But I'll tell you, people do come. There's a methodology to our madness because they will listen when there's free food. And they ate it. And and, and the point being is, if you had an invitation and it was all free, I'm sure a lot of people took a whole lot more than what they needed. They got stuffed. This was no picnic. This was a banquet. This was a feast. Miracle of multiplication because Jesus cared. Twelve baskets of leftovers. I thought, oh, it's kind of one for each disciple. I wonder about Jesus. You know, Jesus still works as our shepherd king. uh, The miracles of multiplication in our own day. And we take them all for granted. I mean, you go into the grocery store, and everything is there. From pickles to pomegranates, from pork to cherry pies, it's all there. How did it get there? Oh, some pixies uh, took care of shelving that stuff during the night. Wrong. It was our shepherd king. Multiplication. Was doing some... uh, Driving to visit uh, people yesterday, came across the first sign of the season, sweet corns, a fresh sweet corn. What a miracle that is. Farmers go out, you know, spring, they plant one little kernel there, one little kernel there, and whoosh, a stalk comes up. Two heads of corn. All those kernels on there multiplied. Only by God's good grace, the rain and the sunshine and the air, just in right proportions, because otherwise it doesn't turn out. And boy, if God ever withholds his, his uh, gracious hand with enough rain and enough sunshine, you get forest fires and you get droughts. Lord, forgive us for taking for granted your gracious hand of provision, even for our physical needs. And then the final one is from the epistle that Mike read before. Because the shepherd king not only helps the helpless uh, spiritually and physically, but also relationally. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 14, on page 4. So he is our peace. In his body he has made Jewish and non-Jewish people one by breaking down the wall of hostility that kept them apart. That's the uh, diagram on page 2. That's a broken wall of hostility. 16, he also brought them back to God in one body by his cross on which he killed the hostility. What's he talking about there? 
Well, after Jesus' ascension into heaven, the church was in danger. In danger of splitting up. Because what was the first church made of? Jewish and non-Jewish Christians. Both culturally different backgrounds. And many times they disagreed as to what should be done in the church. That's why St. Paul says, so that he could take Jewish and non-Jewish people and create one new humanity in himself. So he made peace. He also brought them back to God in one body by his cross, on which he killed hostility. He broke down the wall of hostility so that his church could be one. And so it is today. In our modern-day Christian church, it's made up of Christians, black and white and red and yellow and rich and poor and young and old and Republicans and Democrats, people who know that you cannot bring people together by legislation or litigation or mandates. It didn't work as a kid. Remember those times? Maybe not if you were a girl, but if you were a boy and you had a fight. And your parents came out and they said, now shake hands and get along. Oh yeah, that made everything better. Only through God's Son, Jesus Christ, can you comprehend what it means to forgive others and to be at one with them. And you want, when you come right down to it, all people are saved in the very same way through the blood of Jesus Christ, reconciled to God and each other by the blood of Jesus Christ. External differences overcome by the recognition of our internal oneness. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. And so it is that as we Christians come to church, we not only view one another as blood-bought souls of Jesus Christ, but as children of God, made so through faith in Jesus Christ. That's why it's a good thing. Some churches don't do it, but I love doing it. As we begin our worship every morning, we do, and, and, and the peace of the Lord be with you. The peace of the Lord be with you. The peace of the Lord be with you. We're all different. We all got different ideas, but we're all one by the miracle of the shepherd king. The Lord, our righteousness. You know, when you take a closer look at Jeremiah 23, <clears throat> the first five, six verses, it's full of I will statements by God. I will punish those bad shepherds. I will gather my flock. I will bring them back to their pasture. I will put shepherds over them. I will grow a righteous branch. The Lord, our righteousness. You know, 2,000 years ago, God the Father took a look down at his lost sheep. And he said, who's going to go for us, the Trinity? Who's going to go for us to pay the price of those sheep who are lost? Who will suffer everything that they deserve to bring them back to be with us? And Jesus said, I will go. I will go for us. This is a job for me. This is a job only I can do. 
I will become your shepherd king. I will die for you. I will rise for you. I will wash you in baptism. I will give you my body and my blood. I will hear your prayers. I will gather you to myself on the last day. And so it is that Jesus, our good king shepherd, gathers his flock, cares for his flock physically, and unites his flock. And that's a job that only Jesus could do. And he did. And he does. And thanks be to God for that. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through faith in Christ Jesus. This morning, for our creed, you may remain seated because we will sing the creed, hymn 953. We take this time now to gather our tithes and our offerings and our connection cards. <laughs> 